be gentle with yourself. Everything that I share tonight is always going to be rooted back into self-compassion. We need some self-compassion on this journey. This is not about getting things right. It's not about getting things wrong. It's not about winning or losing. It's really just about being. It's been a year since the pandemic hit, and we're all trying to make sense of life as much as we can right now, myself included. With this in mind, over the next four episodes, we will be talking about the lessons we've learned after this year of quarantine, sharing insights and wisdom from our guests of the Next Right Step program that have helped many of us move through the last 12 months through their platforms and work. In our four weeks last summer with the Next Right Step program, I had the opportunity to take over 40 students through what was a beautiful transformation. We hit on topics like wellness, self-efficacy, identity and impact, our relationship with work, and so much more. And one topic that really resonated for so many was the topic of wellness. And within the context of wellness, more specifically, boundaries. And for me, as a child of immigrants, growing up in a South Asian household with 10 people living in my home, my aunt and my uncle and my mom and my dad decided to raise their families together. Um, And so I had three cousins, my brother and I, grandparents, family members coming in and out of the house over the years. So the concept of a boundary was very foreign to me. And in fact, was something I didn't really understand fully until probably my late 20s. I saw how my Canadian peers would relate to their family members and how there was a distance, or at the time I thought a distance, between them and their family or how they showed up for each other. And then in my cultural context, I learned how to be a first responder. So anytime something would go down in our family with my cousins or with my immediate family, I was always first boots on the ground. How can I help? What can I do? I love logistics. Let me support you in your moment of need. What can I do? And after doing this for most of my 20s, I hit multiple burnouts And not work-related burnout, but emotional fatigue, overwhelm, and just emotional bleeding kind of burnout. And what I had to learn to realize was that there is a sacredness to containing in my body and in my experience what I need. There is a sacredness to learning how to say no. That there is a joy that comes from maintaining a semi-full cup and that when I can show up for those I love, when I can show up for the people around me in a healthy way, it benefits us both exceptionally. We can both heal those wounds that we've been trying to recover from since our childhood. We can support each other in growth towards becoming better versions of ourselves. But learning about boundaries took me a long time, and it's something that I still grapple with. And in this episode of the show, we're going to take you into, so you get a behind-the-scenes look of what it was like for our course participants in The Next Right Step, as we talked about wellness and boundaries with Mina B. 
Mina B is a writer, an author, a licensed therapist, and a self-described boundary expert. And she spoke to me and the Next Right Step community about all things boundaries and self-care. So in this conversation, Mina talks about the five dimensions of self-care. And those five dimensions include spiritual self-care, so our relationship to something greater than us, social self-care, our connection to community, those around us, the relationships that we have, physical self-care, so how we're taking care of and moving our bodies, emotional self-care, so our overall emotional well-being, our mental health, and intellectual self-care. So the way that we're helping expand our mind and really tapping into that intellectual curiosity that we have. During this conversation, we dove into so many different aspects of wellness, but for today's episode, we're going to focus on boundaries. Mina walks us through how to deal with the anxiety of implementing new boundaries, how we can set boundaries with work, especially in a continued work-from-home context, and how to learn to go to the right people for the right things. We also dive into the importance of community and togetherness and support on our wellness journeys. But I started with a really important question, a baseline question. What exactly is a boundary? And this is what Mina had to say before she even got into the tactics around boundaries. The first thing I want to say, be gentle with yourself. Everything that I share tonight is always going to be rooted back into self-compassion. We need some self-compassion on this journey. This is not about getting things right. It's not about getting things wrong. It's not about winning or losing. It's really just about being. So that's the first thing I'm going to say. The second thing when it comes to setting boundaries with others is think of life. We'll get to work this as a second segment. But when I think about life, I like to think about life within our social groups, such as work, family, and friends. We'll put work to the side for now. And let's focus on family and friends. Maybe you might want to think about who in your life you feel a little uncomfortable around. You feel that every time I bring this thing up, this person has this type of response or this person is always inquiring about certain things in my life because boundaries can look, it's vast. There can be many forms of boundary crossing, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, all those things that when we think about the five dimensions of self-care, think about those five dimensions of boundaries as well. All of those interplay. Mm. And so thinking about in what areas do I feel that I might need to set a boundary with this person because every time we have an interaction, it leaves me feeling like I have to abandon my needs to meet their needs. Mm. And recognizing what does my boundary look like with this person? And it's really, it can take some time. And I think too, I'm going to talk about it in two levels. So I'm going to talk about boundaries in the midst of being around people who you feel safe with. If you feel safe around this person, having a conversation with them and letting them know, you know, I, I realized that maybe for a long, especially if this is a, a close friend, talk to them how you would normally talk to them. I know that, let's say, I know during the pandemic, before the pandemic, you know, I was always supportive, but now that we're in quarantine, I'm feeling really heavy. I'm dealing with a lot myself. And so I'm not really able to commit to helping you with what you're going through. I'm really having a tough time showing up for you. And so I would really like, if you are in need of support, 
if maybe you can try to find another resource or someone else, because I, I don't really have the availability to answer my phone all the time the way that I used to. Right now, I actually don't feel comfortable having company. I still want to practice social distancing. Oh, if we're going out, I would prefer that everyone keeps, keeps their masks on. And if that's something that you can't do, I'd rather just stay home. The second level to that is recognizing that the with, when it comes to the boundary, how people respond to that boundary, it's now up to you to figure out how you want to move accordingly with that person. So you know what? I asked that if we could go out, if everyone keeps their mask on, you're saying that's not going to work for you. So I, I can't go. This is not something that I can do. My boundary is not up for debate. Mm, let's hear that again. My boundary yeah. <laughs> is not up for debate. Yes. Yes. And I think for so many of us, we get, we believe like we can't be- embody that ourselves because of the inundation mm-hmm. of people who think they own us or deserve right. from us. But exactly. I'll let you get into the second part of it. Yeah, exactly. You know, the second part that I want to touch on too is feelings are feelings. Sometimes they're icky. We feel guilty about things. It's our job recognizing us as individuals, it's always going to be our jobs to be responsible for ourselves and for our feelings. So when you're going into a situation with someone that you want to express a boundary, recognize that if they get upset, if they're hurt, whatever emotions come up for them, that is work that they have to do. It is not now your job to set a boundary while also, um, while also giving them emotional labor to help them with the emotions that are coming up for them in response to your boundary. Yes. So if they're upset that you're setting this boundary, remember, it's actually okay for, be- for people to be upset. Boundaries is also rooted in feeling. And that's what stops people from making boundaries because we start feeling bad. So if you are trying to implement the boundary, the first thing I want to say is if you start to feel guilty, remembering that guilt means I did something bad. So inquire, what do I think I'm doing bad? What is bad about me making this choice? My writing exercise for you is to define what makes a good person. Mm. The second thing is, how are you exemplifying being a good person to yourself? And what does it look like to be a good person to others? Because enabling other people to engage in dysfunctional habits is, you, you, you see where I'm going with that? Facts. Yes. <laughs> right? So if your good deeds are actually causing people to not build the skills that they need, to manage their feelings and their emotions, are we enabling dysfunctional behavior? Mm. Is our goodness enabling dysfunctional behavior or is our goodness actually helping them? Mm. So think about your goodness before you say, I want to be a good person. And then think about goodness to yourself. So do I think being a good person means I'm supposed to betray and abandon myself in order to please other people? Why do you think that? See, every, this work is always about bringing it back to you because oftentimes we think that we have to change the outside world. We can't control other people, but we can control, but we can manage how we respond to people. That's the only thing that we can do. Yes. But in order to respond to people, we first have to sit with ourselves. I don't know about you, but there's been so many situations where when I put a boundary in place, I have succumbed to trying to nurse the person who I've set the boundary with through their response to me setting the boundary. But then there's no boundary. (laughs) It kind of defeats the purpose. And that's what Mina just spoke to. But remembering the importance of touching base with yourself and your needs and reminding yourself of your why. 
when it comes to the boundary that you just put in place. I have done this time and again, and the only way I've gotten better at this has been through repetition, and we're going to talk more about that a little bit later. But another key aspect for boundaries is safety. And having grown up in my very boundaryless upbringing, um, it also happened to be unsafe at times. My uncle was an abusive alcoholic, and there would be moments where setting boundaries wasn't necessarily safe. And I really appreciated in this conversation when Mina gave us some insights into what we can do in circumstances when things do feel unsafe um, and how to set boundaries, even in the most difficult of situations. If this is a person that you don't feel safe with, manage your risk assessment. So sometimes we might want to enforce a boundary with somebody who is pretty much of an abuser. And looking at abuse through the lens of physical, emotional, mental, financial, spiritual, looking at the wide lens of abuse and make a risk assessment. What is at risk by me setting a boundary with this person? Could this person physically harm me by me creating some distance? If my, my boundary is I want to create distance, could this person find me? If it's my boundary is I want to break up with this person, does this person have access to me in a way? Right. Because, again, like I said, boundaries is not necessarily always black and white. It's really important to make a risk assessment when we are engaging with the types of people that we're engaging with. And so recognizing, too, that when certain people are very narcissistic or very manipulative, you're used to them gaslighting you, which in gaslighting basically means emotional manipulation. And so if this is a person that, you know, if I create a boundary with them, are they my financial source? Mm. Is my livelihood going to be cut off? And recognizing, going back to the things that I mentioned before about self-care, who can I ask for help? And what do I need to feel supported? I remember growing up in the situation we were in, how important community was and how important we were to each other as a family, navigating a really hard situation. And even as we grew up, it became abundantly clear that we had a lot of collective healing to do as a family. And as we each went through that process and as we continue to go through that process, I know that my own setting of boundaries with family members was really tough because when you grow up as a child of immigrants or it, someone in a household that is difficult, you care a lot about what the people around you think about you, and you care a lot about your perception, and you focus a lot on being liked. And it's taken me years to come to terms with the fact that not everyone is going to like me, and that my family might not, might not even like me for some periods of time. But reckoning with that and accepting that has been so freeing for me and has enabled me to live a life that is much more aligned with who I am, what I need, what my goals and dreams are, and much more aligned with the freedom I've always sought. And this conversation gave me so much room to better understand why that is. Going back to the practice of remembering that our jobs are not to control other people's behaviors, their perceptions of us, or how they view us. Our jobs is to manage how we respond to other people. 
So recognizing that people are always going to have their thoughts about your boundaries and especially culturally, right? I think one of the things that has come up to is I'm, I'm also first generation. And so culture plays a role in it where depending on your family dynamic, you are supposed to sacrifice certain things you are supposed to do. And there's this should in integrated in how you're supposed to live your life. Unfortunately, the only way to break this cycle is to set your boundary and to commit to your boundary. And people are, it's going to take time for people to adjust to that boundary. So I do want to share that too. If this is a very new boundary that you're sharing with someone, give them some time to adjust to it. Maybe reminding them here and there, oh, remember when I said that this is, this is what I'm doing? And then they might forget, right? Because it's a new, it's a new practice for them too. It's a new boundary for you to set, but it's also a new boundary for them to have to respect because it's a line that they're used to crossing. So think of boundary as a line. And if this person has been jumping over that line your whole entire life, it can take some time for them to realize, oh, this person is serious about this boundary by you enforcing it. And so that's one area to recognize. The other area to it can be really difficult. And it could really just be an assessment of, is this person someone that you feel like you might have to create a physical boundary around? If this is a person who you might feel like, actually, I'm not going to share this information. And so sometimes that feels a little icky, especially when it's family members and you want to celebrate and you want to share. But if you feel like you're in a place where if I share this thing, they might not be happy for me and that's going to affect my energy or it's going to affect me to some degree where it might impact my mental health. Thinking about your safety, thinking about your safety around your physical health, your mental health. What is the disconnect that you might have to create? Because the work when it comes to boundary is a boundary, again, is you setting a limit and the other person respecting that limit that you set. And the reality is whether it be our family or our friends, some people might not get it but it's always going to be our job to enforce it. And as I mentioned before too, those feelings that come up, whose feeling am I carrying? So if the feeling of anger is present, is it my anger? Is it their anger? And is it my job to fix that anger? No, because this is the boundary that I said I was going to commit to. And this is, if they're feeling this way about my boundary, they have to be willing to do the work around one, respecting my boundary, and doing the work of sitting with the feeling and the emotion that is coming up with them when it comes to hearing the boundary that you have. But as I said, the only way people will respect our boundaries is if we continue to enforce them. Setting boundaries with my family was one of the scariest things I've ever done. (laughs) Because I can remember those exact conversations when someone was raising their voice with me or someone had crossed a boundary with me about how I, as an adult, let people speak to me. Because being the youngest in my family meant that at times I was a punching bag for my family members, um, or the place where they would let out some of their anger. So as I grew up, I realized I have agency, and I get to tell them that that's that's not okay anymore. And I remember the first time I did that, And the response that came from the family member who I spoke this to. And they were bewildered. And it did get to that point where I felt like, 
I realized in that moment, I can't carry this person through their reaction to what I've just said. But now is my time to reinforce what I just said. I have to build the habit of asking to be treated the way I know I deserve to be treated. And that was probably about six years ago now. And for that past six years, this boundary has been reinforced. And it's been reinforced in a way where we went from this messy, misshapen relationship to a boundary that was set for both of us, to mutual respect, to mutual support, and to friendship which I think is our ultimate goal with any parental or sibling relationship. But it only came because I continued to reinforce my boundaries, continued to believe that what I wanted for myself was worthy of repetition. It's habit change. And we talk a lot about habit change in the program in The Next Right Step. And it was something when it came to boundaries or our emotional well-being We're not always used to thinking about habit change in that context, but that's where, for me, the biggest leaps in my life have happened. Another area for me is considering who I'm going to in my life when I'm looking for validation, support, um, knowledge, or, you know, different considerations when it comes to what's on my heart. And it took me a long time. It actually was this exact conversation with Mina where I had my biggest aha. And that aha has been something I've been chewing on for the last six months since this conversation. When it comes to, let's say, boundaries, does this person exemplify what it looks like to set healthy boundaries? When it, think about the conversations you might have had with this person. Is this person an encourager or is this person always complaining, always have negative feedback? Is this someone who, when you're sharing your conflict with them, they kind of, when you walk away, you still feel this heaviness as if it's not resolved or you feel like that person went and turned the story into their thing and now you're walking away with your burden and their burden, right? And so it's very complex. But I would say pay attention to the energy that you feel and pay attention to how this person portrays themselves. One, is this person an example of where you want to be in life? So when we think about our mental health practices and we want to sustain our mental health practices or we want to manage our anxiety, is this one someone who may have walked through this? Because when it comes to these deep, painful issues, there are some people who just don't get it. So is this someone who has walked through this thing and you see you on your end have seen a transformation and you've seen how they have developed their healthy techniques, their self-soothing techniques. You see things in them that, oh, at some point I want that to be, I want that to be my goal too. Because this is someone that it shows, it shows that um, you hold them in high regard and it shows that they've made the transformation that you're also trying to make for the good. Mm. I would also say too, recognizing, as I said before, also, how do you feel when you're in a conversation with them? So active listening is important. Do you feel like this person is just listening or do you feel like this person is actually understanding you? So do they empathize with you? Are they pitying you, being sympathetic and all feel bad for you versus how can I be helpful, right? How can they, are they showing empathy around what it is that you're going through? Are they inquiring? 
are they assuming that now they're the, they're the expert that they, they know mm-hmm. better that, you know, if you don't do this thing, we're done. Right. Because now if they're holding their relationship over you, they might not necessarily be the safest person. If they can easily say that I'm, I'm willing to just end this thing. If you don't listen to what I have to say. And so also too recognizing as well, how can you create a boundary around them and let them know, Hey, I, I want to talk to you about this thing. I'm going through these issues, I'm, but I'm also not always going to want to talk about it. And so there's going to be times where you're going to check in with me and I want you to know I'm okay. I don't always want to talk about this thing as well. And so being able to recognize those things can be really helpful. Again, the first thing I said was, does this person exemplify the goal that you're trying to meet? Does this person have an understanding of what it is that you're dealing with? Is this someone who also pay attention to how do they talk about mental health? If they're always downplaying it, if they think people who struggle with anxiety or are lazy, or they're always saying really harsh, mean things, this person might not be able to hold space for you. Mm. And so I would say pay attention to those behaviors. And as well, if you do open up your, to yourself to someone who you thought was safe, thinking about what boundary, once you recognize that, what do you feel like is when we go back to the feeling of like, what do I need to feel supported? As you move through this relationship with this person, you might realize too, this it started off feeling supportive. And as I navigate through this thing, I'm consistently doing a check-in with myself. And you know, I'm realizing I actually don't feel supported in this community. And so now what is the boundary that you would want to create? Because just because you opened yourself to someone doesn't mean that that has to be a continued practice also. Mm, and that you get to choose when. Exactly. When it's open and when it's not, and right. if it reopens. Right. Yes. And we're having folks who are really resonating with this concept of, and it, this helped me a lot um, because I am myself, I'm a people pleaser. Um, I'm also an empath and I can feel when people are like not there with me, mm-hmm. but I often in the past used to go for them to affirm what I needed affirmed, knowing mm-hmm. that they weren't the right person, but wanting affirmation from that person or love from that person or belonging from that person. You can hear it in my voice in that dialogue with Mina at the end there, how important this nugget was for me. Realizing that when I was seeking validation, I was going to the people who were never going to give it to me. And for me, it specifically comes up around finances and business. As an entrepreneur, as a South Asian woman, growing up in the context I was in, I have a lot of trauma and things that I'm working through, confidence issues around money and around my business. And I was going to my brother and my dad to validate me around different aspects of my experience in business. And time and again, I would often leave those conversations more deflated than feeling supported. And it was through this conversation with Mina and the months that followed where I realized I need to choose and find the right people to go to. That's where I actually decided I need a coach, a business coach, a CEO coach who can help me through this next transition of my business. 
that decision and realizing I was spending way too much time seeking validation from a space where it wasn't going to come. The support was there tactically. I was getting information, but emotionally, I always felt less than walking out of those conversations. But I wanted the validation from my dad and my brother, especially when it came to business and finance time and again, but it didn't come. And so now with my coach, Teresa, I can go to this objective human who can support me very objectively, tactically on business decisions. And it has enabled me to flourish and grow so much. And this also takes the pressure off my dad and my brother to provide to me what I didn't even articulate to them I needed. Had I been upfront, had I even realized for myself that I just need you to help me feel seen, heard, and loved right now, they would do that in a second. But my subconscious was working against me. And now our conversations are so much whole, so much more wholehearted, so much more about connection. They are understanding my growth and my business that much more. But all I needed to do was shift who I was going to for validation and then take the pressure off the relationship where I was formerly seeking validation. And things completely transformed for me. It is one of, again, the greatest lessons. I feel so grateful that when I teach these programs, when I teach The Next Right Step or host conversations or get to interview some of my favorite people, I learn so much every single time, which is probably why I've now made this my job. (laughs) And speaking of jobs, boundaries around work are huge for me. I burnt out at the end of 2020 because building our programming and launching and pivoting our business in a new way took a lot out of me. And I am someone who has burnt out in the past. I teach resiliency. I go out of my way to take care of my well-being. But at the end of last year, I let all my habits and systems go to the wayside. And I was starting from scratch again when it came to having healthy boundaries with work. And it was a topic that really resonated with our attendees of The Next Right Step during this conversation. And we all learned so much about creating healthy boundaries with work. We can often get very analytically brained when it comes to output, input, all of these things. And until you viscerally feel that burnout or experience it in your body, you're like, oh shit, I'm not a machine. (laughs) So how do you encourage folks and how do you yourself set boundaries with your work, especially in the midst of a pandemic? Right. The first thing is recognizing the areas where you feel like you're, you're overgiving. So to use this context, right, I'm actually working through the pandemic and I work nine to five. And so I told myself that even in the midst of working through a pandemic, I'm not working eight to six. I'm not working nine to seven. I'm working nine to five. Mm. And that is a message that I have to make clear with myself because I know what it is. Sometimes we get to that point where we, we, we hit the burnout and we feel the burnout. And now we have to say, if I want this thing, I have to commit to it. So that's the first part. As you mentioned before too, right? It's a commitment that in a small, gradual change, but we have to be willing to put in the work. So recognizing what areas do you feel that you may be overgiving? Are you, one, are you working so much that you're skipping out on breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Are you fueled? Are you eating? Are you showering? Are you neglecting your basic needs? 
in order to continuously be productive. Because that can also be a sign that now, okay, I need to set a boundary around mealtime. I need to make sure that I carve out space to eat breakfast. I need to carve out space to eat lunch. Also recognizing, commit to a daily practice. So what does my daily routine look like? Am I just sleeping until the point where I just get out of bed and now I have to quickly open up the laptop and work and I don't get the opportunity to shower, brush my teeth, do the things that I normally do, even though I'm home, recognizing that committing to a routine and commitment helps with energy management. So although we're not, some of us are not physically going to a work environment, treat your home like the actual work environment. And so the same way you might get up at a certain time to get yourself ready for work, how can you commit to that again? Because now you're starting to fill that space with other things. And it's not space that you're filling to energize yourself. The other area too is just recognizing, well, what is my cutoff time? Do I really feel comfortable working till 10 o'clock at night? Or am I feeling really burnt out and tired? Recognize too, again, the boundaries that you have with yourself. I really want to hang out with my friends and I want to have that that Zoom meeting. I want to sign up for the masterclass and I want to do these things, but I'm always working till 10 o'clock. Is someone requiring that you work until 10 o'clock? Or is this something that you're neglecting your own? You're not, you don't have a boundary with work. And so because you don't have a boundary, you're neglecting your own needs. You're neglecting lifestyle needs. You're neglecting a social community in order to engage in work. You so are when calling we look- all of us out right now. There's so <laughs> many people in the comments who are like, it me. <laughs> it's me. It's me. You know, and I get it. I, it takes time to get there. I feel like I am an expert when it comes to setting boundaries around work, especially with the type of job that I have. It's very important for me. I start at this time. I end at this time. I need to eat to be fueled. But I have to make that commitment. And so thinking about things that by you not having a boundary, what are the things you feel like you're missing out on? Do an inventory. Do a self-check-in. I feel miserable. I feel annoyed. I feel angry. Is there control? Is there something that you can control to fix that? So if I'm working all day and I feel that by the end of my shift, I feel miserable and I feel annoyed, what could you have done differently? Think of it as an apology to yourself. I'm saying sorry to myself. Now let's think of what an apology is. I'm sorry that I did this thing. This is what I learned about what I did. And this is what my commitment is going to be moving forward. So think about it daily in that perspective. You know what? Last night I worked until midnight. I, I just, I'm drained. I'm annoyed. Let me apologize for myself, but don't just sit, sit there. I'm sorry. What is the now? What have I learned? So let me do some self-reflection. I learned that I, I'm committed to doing this thing because maybe I don't feel heard at work. Maybe I don't feel seen at work. Maybe I find so much worthiness in doing work or with everything that's happening with the pandemic, I I have all this anxiety that that work is the only thing that I can control. And so I'm just, I'd rather just work all day. But then sit with that and say, what can I do to change moving forward? So if I'm realizing that my anxiety is causing me to commit to work, what is something that is self-soothing outside of work that is actually going back to cultivating joy, right? Not something that's cultivating burnout. 
something that is cultivating joy? Who can I ask for help? And what do I need to feel supported? So if I'm feeling all these emotions and I feel like I'm stuffing all of that energy into work, how can I displace that energy? And also thinking about self-care. How can I invest that time into emotional self-care? How can I invest that time into social self-care? How can I invest that time in my intellectual health, my physical health? How can I divest that energy into those practices? Something outside of work that's been bringing me a lot of joy lately has actually been my record collection. So random, but so satisfying to pull out a record, put it on the record player, listen to four or five songs, have to manually turn over the record, and then play the other side of it. (laughs) And it's been these small and mindful acts that have given me permission outside of work to slow down to reconnect to myself, and to build a semblance of a life outside of work. And I know that that can feel so strange given that a lot of us are still mostly at home. And so what does a life outside of work mean? It just means really appreciating and creating rituals around the fun things I can do at home. So we do Friday night family game nights. We do Saturday night is our movie night as a family where we watch movies in the basement My cousin, he bought a popcorn maker off of Amazon, so we make it a full-on movie night. But doing these things and making rituals and really enjoying the things that I can do outside of work at home has really helped separate um, between my work day and my chill time. Now, I'll also say, and I brought this up with our cohort after because there was a lot of us who are night owls. So a nine to five schedule may not work for you. A nine to five schedule actually might be the antithesis of how you work. And it's the same for me. My peak productivity hours or creative hours are usually actually between like 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. And I've very recently, I'd say in the last like two, two years, have just accepted that part of myself. So part of this relationship to work and boundary setting with work for me is creating a schedule that works for me. So the first few hours of my day are related to my self-care, my workouts, my meditation, a nice shower. Um, And then when I start work around one, I work one to six with my team. And then I take my dinner break with Mitch and the family and some TV time. And then I get started again from about 10 till 1 a.m. And that's been working really well for me. So I want to give you permission here to set and create boundaries and space with work on the schedule that makes sense to you Um, and not necessarily feeling like you have to fit into the boxes created by other people. After a short break, we'll be back with Mina B. If you want to check out more episodes of Lessons Learned, then scroll wherever you're listening to this episode of the show. We've got over 55 episodes for you to dive into. I'm Komal, and this is Lessons Learned. We are having an incredible conversation today with Mina B., a self-described boundary expert and licensed therapist, and someone whose Instagram posts always land on my feed just when I need them. Nuggets of wisdom and knowledge around our mental health and well-being that just really hit differently. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm implementing a new boundary or doing something that's good for me, it can be anxiety-inducing. 
and I can feel overwhelmed by trying to implement the thing, whether it's a new health habit or an emotional boundary with someone I love um, or a boundary with myself around how I talk to myself. It can feel like too much too fast and that can make me want to not do the thing or to just go back to old habits and old behaviors. So what do we actually do when something is anxiety provoking, but it's actually really good for us? If it's anxiety provoking, examining what's making you anxious about it. And so what about this thing is bringing up anxiety for you and examining what that anxiety looks like? Is that anxiety that brings you to your past? Something that you're replaying that happened in the past and therefore it's making you anxious to pursue it? Or is the anxiety rooted in the fear of something that's unknown, making assumptions about something and recognizing how can I dissect this anxiety? Because once you dissect that anxiety, that can help with being able to differentiate now Once I recognize this anxiety is out the way or I recognize what the anxiety is rooted in, maybe it's a fear of a past thing. If it's a fear of a past thing, how can you break that down? How can you challenge that fear? If it's the fear of the future, the future is unknown. So what am I scared of that I need to tackle? And then recognizing now when you get to the part of the anxiety, I mean, the boundary piece, you know, recognizing too that boundaries is pretty much about your limits. And so what limits do I need to set around this thing? Because also when we're pursuing something, you don't have to jump all the way way into it. So you might recognize too, because this thing is making me a little anxious, how can I create a boundary where I'm taking things slow? What is my process going to be? So if I want to pursue this thing, in what increments makes me feel comfortable for my anxiety? So also recognizing that when we want something in life, We don't have to dive right into it immediately. So recognizing you are allowed to go at the pace you feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And so recognizing, again, if I'm still wrestling with this anxiety, maybe also, what am I taking on too much? Am I trying to commit to too many things? Because the boundary might be, you have to set limits with yourself because your body is letting you know you're not there right now. And let's sit with this anxiety Let's sit with what's happening, what's coming to the mind with the anxious thought, and then let's expand the boundary a little. Then when we expand the boundary, oh, I realize there's, there's some anxiety coming up again. Let's sit with this and then expand the boundary again. So do that, commit to that cycle until you get to a place where you're pursuing the thing that you want. So Mitch recently said to me when it came to my business and this next phase of my life and work that I've been slowly building the house and I'm finally moving into it with this launch season for the next right step. And as I realized when I burnt out at the end of last year that I had pushed things a little bit too far when it came to how I was working, I hit a ceiling with the way my business was structured. It took me a minute to stop to assess where I was at, and to make my action plan for what was next. And when I made that action plan, I was doing exactly what Mina described, where I was expanding a little bit, setting the new boundaries for what was next, how I was going to work, what was okay and what wasn't when it came to sacrificing my wellness. And then when I could fully embody that house, I added another extension. When I fully embodied that space, I added another extension. And I have continued 
to move into the new space I create for myself as my boundaries grow and my boundaries expand. And even us reorienting our show and reimagining the show in a way where I get to storytell alongside the interviews that I love to do, where I get to share more of myself in a more thoughtful way with all of you. We built the structure for this house and now we're finally moving into it with all of you. And it felt really beautiful for the first interview of season two to be this one with Mina where we talk about boundaries, where we talk about this expansion, where we talk about this self-compassion. And it's something that Mina herself is going through in her life. She recently left her nine-to-five practice to pursue her business full-time and to support people in a way that serves her and serves those that she wants to most impact in the world. And so this is what Mina had to say about this next chapter in her life I'm really, really big on community. I come from a huge family and a lot of my healing came from me having to stem outside of my family to the community that I had. And with everything that I shared with my own personal journey around mental health, it's just been really important. Togetherness is important to me. Being able to talk about what you're dealing with, being seen, being heard, we can say it. But what does that actually look like? You know, how are we walking through life and practicing that? How are we seeing people? Are we feeling seen? How are we hearing people? Do we feel heard? Are we hiding ourselves, but we want to be seen? And so I think about my career in just the sense of, you know, I plan to branch out to do things like workshops. And I guess I'll just have to do it in a virtual space because yes. I don't know. <laughs> also, it's yes. the best. Someone literally right. just said they're like, to be able to have this conversation so intimately without it being like in the physical, a yeah. larger physical space. And I can't wait for your workshops. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but that's what I've been doing. You know, I sent out a bi-weekly newsletter. I always include reflection questions. I share things in my newsletter about meditations I'm doing, things I'm watching, things I'm listening to, because I really just feel like togetherness is important and I really want to embody that. And so for me, moving forward with my career, it's just really about everything that I do is always going to be intentional about creating community. Community is a theme that came up time and again in our conversation with Mina. And it's also one of the best predictors of overall wellness is our connection and relationship to others. It means so much to me to be back in your ear week after week as we build this community together. I want you to know I'm here for you. I care so deeply about you. And I'm so excited to continue to bring valuable and meaningful and impactful conversations your way week after week. And for us to continue to build this little corner of the internet together where we share these lessons learned where we learn from each other, and where we learn to connect more deeply with ourselves. And so thank you everyone for coming back for the beginning of season two of Lessons Learned. Thank you, Mina B, for your infinite wisdom and the support that you've given all of us through your platform and through our time together. And I'm so excited to continue on my own journey of creating togetherness, connecting community, and sharing this knowledge forward with those of us who are called to it. And so I want to remind you 
My program, The Next Right Step, is opening for registration April 28th. You can visit gomal.com slash TNRS to learn more and to be even more deeply ingrained in this community and to improve your life, your well-being, and your connection to yourself. Lessons Learned is produced by Rhaenyra Naidu and me, Gomal Minhas, with support from Daniela Ochoa. Our editor is Madison Foran. If you heard something that really resonated with you, then please leave a review over at Apple Podcasts. You can find all the episodes and other goods over at gomal.com. Until next time, I'm Gomal, and this is Lessons Learned.